0: Welcome to the Seashore Church message of the week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. That's going to be our text for tonight. Mark chapter 16. I'd encourage you to bring the Bible that you typically read during the week. Go ahead and bring that to church. It's good to make it a habit of having the same Bible that you read. If it's your phone, that's cool. If your tablet's that cool, we have Bibles in the pews in front of you. Thank you, Athelia United Methodist Church. And we even have it on the screens uh, if you want to read it there. But Sorry, not Matthew. Mark chapter 16, and we're going to begin in verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. This is not Jesus advising us to start picking up snakes and drinking poison. But he's speaking to a people group who would be inflicted with snakes and poison because Rome began to persecute the church. And so what we read about and go, huh, when are the snakes coming out of the back that Clayton's going to start handing snakes around? We don't do that. He's speaking to people because that was literally what they were going to be experiencing in just about a year's time. But all of these things that he's saying are important for us to take note of. Those who believe. Who? Those who, who believe, will drive out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up snakes with their hands, drink deadly poison, and they will put their hands on sick people, and they will be healed. They will do this in his name. Who is the they? Those who believe is the they. So if you believe, you're a they. Congratulations you're now officially a they. Those who believe will do these things in his name. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say, pray that I would do these things. He said, for those who believe, they will do it in my name. We have a a pretty powerful phrase in my house. I think it's a good thing. I'm not sure. Hear me out and let, let you decide for yourself. But there's times when, uh, you know, we have three kids. I've got a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And, you know, when they when they first started growing up, kids like to to uh, experiment and try things they couldn't do before. They want to find out what can I do now that I couldn't do before. And it's kind of cute when they're little because it's like learning to walk, and they're like, oh these things kind of work. This is what they're meant for. And it's kind of cute. They begin to walk. And I remember when Liam first learned how to ride his bike, I think he was three years old actually. It was kind of early. But I realized that using training wheels, in my opinion, is the worst way to learn how to ride a bicycle because a kid never learns to balance. So the best thing to do is to take the wheels off at three years old. Hear me out. And just push him down the street. That's the best way that a kid can learn. You think I'm crazy, but all I did was I, without telling Rummy, I took the wheels off. Don't tell your mother. And I grabbed him by the butt of the seat and pushed him. And he was a little bit scared because the hard thing about a bike is starting out, but actually riding a bike's not that hard. So you know he's riding down the street like this. And after a while, he's like, I was like pedal, okay." Starts pedaling, and he's like, oh, huh. I got, okay, I got it. I got it. And in my brain, I'm going, wait, did I tell him how to stop? I did. I told him how to stop. I said, just pedal backwards to stop. So once you get going, just keep going. If you want to stop, just pedal backwards and then put your foot down and and you're done. So he did it and he goes all the way to the end of the street. I didn't tell him how to turn. So I was like, just stop. And I'm running after him, trying to catch up to him. He's three. I didn't have to run that fast. And I turned around and go the other way. I was like, all right, whoosh, go. And he goes down the street and he's He's three years old. He's got it. Never used training wheels. I was like, man, there's something to this. And then I remember his mom came out of the house and she just sees him riding down the road with no training wheels. I don't think I had a helmet either. I know. I grew up no helmet era. Now I'm like the massive helmet guy. All my kids have to wear helmets when they ride bikes. But he's riding down the street and he looks over and he's like, ah, and Romy's like, what are you doing? And he uses this phrase. He goes, it's okay. Dad said I could. And he learned the power of the phrase, dad said I could. It's like carte blanche to do pretty much anything you want until he realized mom said I could carries just as much weight as dad said I could. And actually mom said I couldn't carries more weight than dad said I could If mom said I couldn't comes before dad said that I could. You hear what I'm saying? So he used this phrase, dad said I could. And she looks at me and I was like, yeah, I did. She goes, okay. Dad knows what he's doing. Now, this sometimes works not so great because sometimes dad gives permission for things that he probably shouldn't give permission to, but dad's learning too. But it's cute when they're riding their bike and they're walking, but... I have another child who recently, who's a teenager, who has become fascinated with fire. And I know most kids at this age, at some point, develop a fascination with fire. Now, we've taught all three of our kids how to build a fire from scratch, how to make sure it's safe, how to maintain a fire, how to keep it going, and, you know, not to leave it unattended, and how to make sure it's fully out. When they know all that stuff, so they know how to do it. But this is the first time they developed a fascination for it. And the outworking of this fascination became this great idea. I know how to be safe. And what's the safest place I can think of to start a fire? The gutter. So they began this habit of having gutter fires. Yes, the gutter on the street in front of your house. He's like, concrete base, not a lot of inflammables around me. This is perfect. So I walk out and I see every day a fire in the gutter okay, we need another redefinition of what safety is. So I realized, because I was the same way at his age, I wasn't a pyromaniac, but you just get a fascination with fires. And I thought, okay, I know that if I tell them stop setting fires, they're probably just going to set it somewhere else anyway. Let me teach them the right way to do this. I said, boys, come here, because he's got a younger friend that has way more of a fascination for fire. So I said, come back here with me. And we went to the backyard. I said, we've got this, this chimneya, you know, those Mexican fire pit things. We've got one in our backyard. I said, here's the deal. I've already shown you how to have a fire safely. Forgot to mention the no gutter fire moment. But I want to go over all these instructions with you again. And here's the rules. If you keep the fire within this fire pit, and if you make sure that it's always under supervision, like you don't just set it and leave it, then you can start a fire anytime you want as long as you follow those rules and it stays within this fire pit. So next thing I know, we have three fires a day going on in our backyard. And if you're wondering where the smoke is coming from in our neighborhood, it's ours. Not only that, but if you look in my backyard, they have collected firewood from all over the neighborhood and stacked it up in my backyard to have fires whenever they want to have it, And I remember Romy coming outside one day, and she's seeing them starting this massive fire, which technically was still within the Chimnea, although it was about to spill out and set the neighborhood on fire. Technically, it was still inside this fire pit. And she's like, boys, what are you doing? And what did my son say? It's okay. Dad said I could. Boy, is that a fun thing for a kid to be able to say. It's okay. Dad said I could. You know, when we read this scripture, Jesus wants to see people saved. Jesus wants to save, but he wants us to tell them. Jesus wants to drive out demons, but he wants us to do it. And Jesus wants sick people made well, but he wants us to place our hands on them in order for them to get well. In my name, they will. I recently sat with somebody. He was asking me these questions. They said, "Okay, so let me get this straight about praying for sick people. So, if it's God's will for somebody to deal with sickness right now, and five thousand people are praying for him, are we trying to change God's mind?" And I went, "If God wants, if God wants people sick, I don't know what God you're praying to, but my God does not make or want people to be sick." I'm not changing God's mind when I pray for healing. I'm praying God's mind. In fact, the Bible says I have the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ is I will place hands on sick people and they will get well. That's been tested at times because believe it or not, I've prayed for people and they've died. Who wants me to pray for them tonight? So I've, this has been tested in me. Do you still believe that I will lay hands on sick people and they will get well. Absolutely. We can do this because Dad said we could. Do you understand this? These are Jesus' words, not mine. Not even Mark's. They will place hands, their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Why will sick people get well? Because Dad said I could. So the issue for us is Why is it sometimes when we do lay hands on people, they don't get healed? This used to frustrate me. What I get aggravated by a little bit is when I pray for a sick person and they don't get healed, is when I've seen people now, instead of asking the question, well, then how can I see them healed? They change their theology on healing. Well, it must be God's will for them not to be healed. And we develop a theology of failure. If I prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed, it must not be God's will. Really? Maybe if I prayed for somebody and they didn't get well, there's more I can learn about helping sick people get well. Maybe there's more to this sickness than just my faith right now. Maybe there's more going on in this situation that needs to be addressed. Maybe there's something here going on that's actually blocking healing from coming that I don't know about. But when I began to read this scripture, I said, Jesus, this was not a sometimes. This was not a one out of 10 people will get healed that you pray for. The Bible says every person Jesus prayed for got healed of everything. Did you hear that? Every person of everything. That means when you came to Jesus and you had cancer and a hangnail, they both got healed of everybody. And if he's telling us that when we lay hands on people, we'll see the same, I don't want to believe for anything less. So if I pray for somebody, they don't get healed. I'm not going to change my theology on healing. I'm asking the question, okay, God, what did I miss? What else can happen? What about the next person? I want to learn as I go in this. But it all comes down really to the way we, we, we have, see, and use the authority that God's given us. So can I take you on a little bit of a journey about the authority that I'm talking about? Because when I, what Jesus is saying here is I'm giving you the authority to put your hands on sick people and see them healed. I'm giving you the authority to drive out demons. Where does that authority come from? Can I take you on a little bit of a journey? Is that okay? Are you with me? All right, just checking. So. The first thing to understand is, when we look at the book of Genesis, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, when God created us, He gave us the authority that He's talking about right now. In fact, in verse 26 through 28, it says, Let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Next verse. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created a Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What does that mean? Rule, authority, right? Rule over the fish of the sea. I claim that every time I go fishing. And the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. To the woman, he said, no, that's too far. That's the next one. Go back to the slide we'll leave it there. So God gave us the authority to rule and reign over our environment. Do you see that? So the authority, we didn't need healing because there was no sickness, but God gave us all the authority over all of the earth. That's a pretty big deal. We rule over the fish. We rule over the livestock, like rule over them, right? We're not fearing lions eating us. We ruled over them. We say, come and they come. We say, go and they go. I would venture to say that we even ruled over the weather patterns. We ruled over everything. The whole earth, we ruled over. We had authority over everything. Life doesn't quite seem like that now, does it? We seem to be sheltering ourselves against the world, but in the garden, we had authority over all of it. So what happened? Well, unfortunately, we sinned, and we lost the authority that was once given to us. Mankind gives away the authority that was given to them. We can go to that Genesis chapter 3 now. I want to show you when this happens. Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 3, guys. Genesis chapter 3. Next one. There we go. So we give our authority away. In Genesis chapter 3, after Eve was deceived by the servant, she ate the one fruit that God told her not to eat, then gives some to her husband Adam, and he eats. And as a result, they're kicked out of the garden. They're kicked out of this in perfect environment, and they lose their authority. And God tells the woman... To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. A vegetarian diet? It's part of the curse. Let me move on. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Here's what happens. We had the authority from God, but because of our sin, we give our authority away. Who did we give the authority away to? The devil of all people. Remember, The devil appears as a serpent and lies to Eve, and Eve believes the lie more than the promise of her father. Remember what we said last week? The only lie that has power over you is the one that you believe. Eve believes the lie, and you know what she does? She goes to her husband, Adam, and repeats the same lie that she heard. Adam believes the lie that Eve believed, and he sins as well. And they hand over the power and authority that God had given them. They both fall. Take a little sidetrack on this for a minute. I know we talked about truth and lies last week. And the only lie that has power over you is the one that you believe. The sad part of this truth is the devil will often use those who are closest to you to repeat the lie. It's why we need to know the voice of our Father more than any other. When Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he didn't say you will know the truth because your leaders told you what the truth is, because your pastor told you what to believe, because your wife knows what's best, she prays more than anybody else, so just get truth from her. No, no, no. He said you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's important that what I say, you just don't take it as gospel truth. Find out in your Bible yourself. Eve was the one Adam was closest to. And so naturally, Adam would trust what Eve says, right? But what Eve was saying was contradictory to what God had told him. And at some point, you've got to realize that sometimes lies can come through those who are closest to me. It doesn't mean they hate me. It means that they've believed a lie, and now they're repeating a lie that they've believed. And so I have to learn to love the person, but cut off the lie. Are you following me? There are people who love you, but will repeat lies to you that they've believed from the enemy. And what you need to learn how to do is to cut off the lies that are being spoken to you and still love the person. This is a tragedy that we've seen in church life too much. I've seen some of the nicest people say some of the most horrible things because they've believed a lie. And when the lie gets exposed, they repeat it without realizing that I've been following something that's not true. You know, this actually happened to David. David, you remember when he fought Goliath, the big nine-foot giant? You think six-eight? you think this is tall? Imagine fighting a nine-foot giant. And Goliath had been terrorizing the Israelites for quite some time. He was leaving, one guy, leaving the whole nation in bondage because he would come out and he would talk trash to them every single morning. And they were so riddled in fear and oppression that they were hiding in a ditch. And then David, this little shepherd boy, like a kid, right? A kid who's a worshiper. A kid who's been spending years on the backside of a desert worshiping God shows up on the scene. He's like, who is this guy? What? Why are you guys hiding here? Why are you hiding from this guy? It's funny how being on the mountaintop alone, but in worship, gives you a different perspective than people who are on the front lines of the battle, who think we're the veterans. We tell you how it is. We've been doing the fight. But the worshiper that's been away with God comes by and comes with heaven's perspective instead of man's perspective. And he shows up and he goes, I'll fight this guy. And then King Saul tells David something very interesting. You know what he says? The king, the leader of the nation. He looks at David and goes, you can't fight this guy. You're just a boy. And he's been a warrior since his youth. Could you imagine the heart of a young David? I've been... I've been looked over and passed over and I've just been worshiping God on a mountain. And I come and I'm so excited to be around the real guys doing ministry. I'm so excited to be with those who are in the fight, those who I've looked up to for so long. I'm in the presence of the king. And the words of the king are, you can't do this. You're just a boy. Can you imagine what happens in David's heart? But David does something very interesting. He approaches Saul from where Saul's at. And he goes, you know what? I fought the lion. I fought the bear. I can do this. He never criticizes Saul, but he understands, I'm hearing the lie that's been told to Saul coming at me now. Because the word Saul's using is what he's been listening to for the last couple of years. Saul, you don't have what it takes. You screwed up and you can't defeat this guy. And Saul, thinking he's helping, repeats to David the same lie that he had been hearing in his own heart. And David, I think maybe sensing that because he knows the difference between the voice of his father and the voice of the enemy, even when it's spoken through someone that he's supposed to look up to. He goes, it's okay, I've killed the lion and the bear. Because if I tell Saul what this is really about, he's so deceived right now, he's not going to get it. And I'll let God deal with that. Because I've done a little bit of fighting, I'll go do it. But when David stands in front of Goliath, do you know what he says? He doesn't tell Goliath, I've killed a lion and a bear and you're nothing. He stands before Goliath and he says, I come in the name of the Lord God Almighty. It's not me you've defied, it's him. And I'm coming in his name. And today I'm cutting off your head. I'm feeding your carcass to the birds. That is my favorite part. And then I'm going to take all y'all. Like he's talking to the whole army now. Because Dad said I could. And Saul's not my father. My dad said that I can pick up snakes with my hands and drink deadly poison. And I can lay hands on sick people and they will be made well. So nine foot giants, that is no problem for my dad. My dad said I could and watch what's going to happen. Give me five stones, that's all I need. I don't need a sword, I don't need a shield, I don't need any of your armor, just give me what I know, and the giant's going down. Because I carry his name. And he defeats the Goliath. For some of us, we got to learn to cut off the lie. And understand that maybe some of the lies that have come into your heart have come through people who thought they were doing the right thing by you but they're just repeating the lie. Stop going around and looking for lies and just know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is the lie that Saul had believed was keeping the whole nation in bondage. But God had another plan. So we give the authority away. It's why when Jesus is tempted in the desert, the devil takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And the devil says, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. That's one time the devil's actually telling the truth. The devil's telling Jesus, I'll give you all this because he had it. He had the authority. Not by God. Adam gave it to him, yeah, yeah. Eve gave it to him. So what does God do? God sends Jesus. Jesus gets the authority back for us. Isn't this crazy? So Jesus tells Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. You guys probably know this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why does he say, I will give you the keys? Because he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't gotten the keys yet. The devil still has the keys. But in Ephesians, we see that when Jesus died, during those three days, he didn't just stay in the grave. He went down because of his sacrifice, got the keys back from the devil, took the authority back from the devil. Do you hear me? So Jesus now has the authority that we lost. And then he does the craziest thing I think I've ever heard anybody do. This is why Jesus is God and I'm not. Jesus... Gives the authority back to us. Now look, my son's 16. He's about to get his driver's license. If on the day he gets his driver's license, I go, son, congratulations, here's the keys to the car. And if he immediately goes out and wrecks that car, I'm going to have to get a new car. But I'm probably not going to say, Hey, nice try. Here's the keys again. Give it another shot. You know what? Let me hang on to the keys for a little while. Maybe let's go back to driving school. Maybe let's make sure you understand responsibility. No, in this paradigm, Jesus goes, Man, you wrecked that car. Maybe this one will work out better. Who does this? What a dad. What a savior. I would not give authority back to me. Like it wasn't one chapter when Adam blew it. He's created, given authority, next chapter, gave it away. Come on. Then we spend all these years without the authority. Jesus dies, gets it back, and goes, here you go. I'm glad I'm not God. But that's the love he has for us. Whatever you loose in heaven will be loosed on Earth, And Mark chapter 16 spells out what this means. And the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, is when we get the keys back. There's moments when God gave the disciples this authority. But the day the Holy Spirit came, He came to everyone who wanted Him. And all authority in heaven and earth was given to us. It wasn't just given to Peter and who Peter laid his hands on. It was given to any hungry heart that would receive his fire. And the amount of fire that we receive is only dependent on the amount of surrender that's in our heart. Surrender builds up the the tender, the kindling in our heart. And the hunger, the panting, the longing, the desire for the flame dips it in kerosene. And when the Holy Spirit comes, we're pre-wired and pre-built for fire so that when we lay hands on sick people, they're made well. And we don't walk away questioning whether God's really true or not. There is fire available for us today. And I want to end this with one more story from the Bible. Thank you for sticking with me for this. There's one moment... When Jesus demonstrates this in Matthew chapter 14, I didn't give the guys this for the Word, so I'm just going to read this to you, or you can look it up in your Bibles if you want. Matthew chapter 14. It's a story about Jesus feeding 5,000 people miraculously. Or did He? Matthew 14, verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to Him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You ever had Jesus tell you that? Stop asking me to heal them. You put your hands on them. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring him here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, not even including the women and children. Follow this story with me. These people were so excited about following Jesus, they were running ahead of him to the town he was going to, forgot to bring food, forgot to, oh, that's right, eating. I forgot about that. They're so panting, longing for Jesus that they forgot to bring food. They just started running. Oh, man, imagine a church that gets this. They just ran. They get to there and there's at least 5,000 men because that's how they counted people back then, but there's much more women and kids. I have a family of five, so you can multiply perhaps five by five. There could have been 25,000 people there. The disciples see the need. Well done. We need leaders who see need, right? And they go, hey, Jesus, we got to we got, we got, man, we need some strategies. We need a plan. We need something. We got a. We, get, we need a, a building plan, a feeding plan, a bus plan. We need a, an event planning. We need. We need all this stuff, and we need to. And Jesus goes, "You give them something to eat." Well, we only have five loaves and two fish. Oh, that's funny. Give me the loaves. Takes the loaves and breaks them in half. Breaks five loaves in half, and we have two fish. How many pieces do we have now? Any mathematicians? We got. Five loaves broken in half, how many loaves do we have now? You didn't know you were going to get a math quiz. We break five loaves in half, how many loaves do we now have? And if you have to drive 20 miles an hour to a town 30 miles away, and you're, no, I'm not, I'm just kidding. Five loaves broken in half, how many loaves do you have? Five loaves broken in half, how many individual pieces of bread do you now have? Ten, thank you. How many fish were there? He broke the bread, not the fish. So how many pieces of bread do you have? How many fish do you have? How many disciples do you have? What's 10 plus 2? You follow me now? Thank you, David. So you now have 12 individual pieces of food. You follow me? Who did he give the pieces of food to? So each disciple got what? One piece of food. You either got a piece of bread or you got a piece of fish. But at least 5,000 people got fed. Here's the question I have for you When did the miracle happen? What did Jesus give out? Twelve pieces of food. He only gave out what was there. When did the miracle of multiplication happen? When the disciples gave it to the people. Who fed 5,000 people? Jesus? Or the disciples. I want you to understand. We know Jesus is the miracle worker. I'm not trying to develop a Messiah complex in you. What I want you to see. Is Jesus doesn't always give you food to feed 5,000 people. Sometimes he gives you a piece of bread. Sometimes he gives you a piece of fish. But when you step out. And you're looking at your piece of bread and going, I see one piece of bread and a thousand people. The miracle happens when you begin to pass it out. The story we know is that it's more than enough that was even collected afterwards. He was told to gather all the broken pieces together. And how many basketfuls were left over? Twelve basketfuls were left over. So at the end of the miracle... The disciples gathered all the broken pieces back again. I think every one of them left with a little reminder of what had happened in that moment. You see, God wants to perform miracles in our midst. But he wants to use us to do it. I wouldn't do it this way. I'm to do it my... Move! I got this! You ever know that? Like I try to teach my kids how to work on their bike and I'm just, God, just move, I'll do it. It's my nature. And my kid's like, Jai's going, but dad, I wanna know how to do it. I wanna know how to fix my bike chain. I wanna do it myself. And I've gotta go, okay. Jesus wants to save. He wants to heal and he wants to set free. But he wants you to do it. Would you stand with me for a moment? I love that Stephanie did this. I didn't ask her to do that. She didn't know what I was going to talk about. But I just want to declare something tonight. If this is a desire of your heart, I want you to repeat this after me. In your name, I will drive out demons, speak in new tongues. I may may get bit by snakes, but it won't hurt me. I will put my hands on sick people and they will be healed. Because my dad said so, I will proclaim freedom for prisoners and release from darkness for captives. I will renew cities. I will repair the places long devastated. I will open blind eyes because my dad said so. Come on, let's thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, begin to thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. God, I pray that you would seal that in our hearts tonight, that we would believe your words, no longer be tossed back and forth with the lies of the enemy. They get thrown at us. We can't stop the lies, but we don't have to give power to them anymore by believing them. We don't want to believe any less than what you've promised. Healing, wholeness, blind eyes open, hospitals closed, people coming back into the kingdom, the hearts of sons and daughters being restored back to their parents, and the hearts of fathers being restored back to their sons. God, we pray for a longing in our hearts for you. That our hearts would be broken again. That we can't just walk past people anymore and hope that you'll do something for them. We are you to that person. You have given us power and authority to do everything that you've told us we can do. And it's on your word that we will go forward. As Peter said, if you call me out, I'll walk on water. If you say so, I'll do it. God, let that cry be on our hearts tonight. Our city needs you. It doesn't need another political solution. It doesn't need another tax solution. It needs you. Father, I pray for boldness over your people tonight to no longer be satisfied with what we've seen but like those little kids that want to see what they can do now that they couldn't do before. I pray that we step out boldly and see a city turned upside down, upside down. Do it in us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.